Good morning. Welcome to Christ the Cornerstone. Jesus, hallelujah. Church, can we keep giving God praise? He's worthy of our praise. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. 
You've been so good to us, Lord. You brought us through a whole year. And we're just so grateful. You've kept us safe from danger, seen and unseen alike, hasn't he? When you think about the doors that he closed in our life, that only he could close. Doors that need to be closed. Doors of illness. Doors of bankruptcy. Doors of jobs going away. He's just blessed us and protected us. And the fact that we're here today to lift up our hands and praise him, that's our way of saying to him as they just sang, Lord, yes, I will. Let's give the Lord another hand clap, church. He's worthy. He's worthy of our praise. Hallelujah. I don't know about you, but I'm so glad to be in the house of the Lord today. Amen. And if we turn to Psalm 122, there is a beautiful scripture that speaks of this wonderful privilege to be in the house of God. Let me get my microphone turned around here. The psalmist writes, Oh, I was glad when they said to me, Let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem, built as a city which is better which is bound firmly together, to which the tribes look up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Have you thanked God for the name of the Lord, for Jesus? Their thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We'll do that today. May they prosper who love you, Jerusalem. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brethren and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Let us bow our heads, brothers and sisters, as we come before the Lord humbly with thanksgiving in our heart. Let's clear our minds of everything else that's going on in this world right now. God knows all about it. But right now, he just wants us to concentrate on him. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, our awesome, almighty, precious God, master of everything, creator of the universe, what is man that you are so mindful of us, that you want to hear our prayers, that you care about us the way you do? We are so thankful, Lord, that you love us. You love us better than we love ourselves. If we had but a thousand tongues, we could not thank you enough in each one of those tongues for all that you've done for us, all that you are to us. So we humble ourselves before you just because of who you are, Jesus, not just what you've done for us. We are grateful for for the way you've watched over us this week throughout our lives. You've kept us safe from danger, seen and unseen alike, as only you can. We ask that you continue to do so, Lord. Bless us. Bless us mightily. Bless us indeed like you did old Jabez. May your blessing hand be continuously upon us. And will you continue to look up to your heavenly heavens with the saving strength of your right hand when it comes to our lives. We need you, God. Without you, we are nothing. Without you, we can do nothing. Order our steps today, Father, and throughout our lives until we see you in glory. 
We thank you, dear God, that you are blessing our churches, both campuses. We thank you for the wonderful play we had last week for the bus, our new bus that was in the parade in Ellesmere. It went so well. We could just feel your touch on everything, dear God. Thank you. We thank you, Lord, for, for especially for the message of hope. Well, that was a wonderful message. Amen? That was a wonderful message you gave us through the, through the play, players in our play of hope. And you are our hope, Lord Jesus. Father, we ask in Jesus' name that you keep us safe from this plague that is upon the land. We know that greater are you, Lord, than any plague, than anything that comes near us. And we thank you for saving us, dear God. Lord, we ask that you bless our youth, especially with all that's going on in the schools. And Lord, you know all about it. Protect them, dear God. Protect our elderly, dear Lord, who are so oftentimes abused and forgotten. And Lord, a special prayer for those who have lost loved ones recently. You know that deep pit in the heart that only you can fill, dear God. Thank you for being the one who does fill it. We need you, Lord. Once again, we love you. Lord, we ask that you bless this service. Forgive us of our sins. Watch over us, Lord. Keep us close to you. For in your presence is fullness of joy. And we need your joy, for the joy of the Lord is our strength. These and all blessings we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. And would you say amen, brothers and sisters? Hallelujah. You may be seated. God bless. Hey, CCC family. I'm Lynn, and here's this week's news. We want to say thank you to all who came and experienced this year's Christmas show. We were so blessed by the positive feedback and encouraged by those who realized that we do have hope in Jesus. Our holiday services will continue at the Bear Campus on December 23rd at 7 p.m. and December 24th at 6 and 8 p.m. Our online campus will be live on the 23rd at 7 and we will rebroadcast on the 24th at 6 and 8 p.m. Our Ellsmere campus will meet on December 24th at 7 p.m. We look forward to seeing you there. We also want to say thank you to those who participated in this year's Angel Tree Ministry. In all, 14 children who have a parent that is incarcerated will receive a gift from you and a personal message from their parent. God bless you for blessing others. On December 31st, we will be hosting a first night celebration, God's Will and God's Way in 2022, with Reverend Jonathan Whitney and special guest Pastor Carolyn Williams and Pastor Kevin Benjamin. Doors will open at 7 p.m. and refreshments will be served at 8.15. To learn more, contact Pastor Vaughn at vmontague at ctcde.church. For more information on these and other events, visit our website at ctcde.church or go to our Facebook page. If you need prayer, you can call the Bayer Campus Office at 302-836-2862 or the Ellesmere Campus Office at 302-998-4584. You can also email us at prayer at ctcde.church, or if you're worshiping online, you can hit the Request Prayer button at the bottom of your screen. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram. God bless you and have a great week. Good morning, brothers and sisters. How are you today? You look fabulous, and I'm glad that we're in God's house, lifting his name high, 
celebrating him and worshiping on him on the week before Christmas. You scared me, Pastor, when you... <laughs> you boo. It's no secret that the Lamb of God was born in a manger, right? Jesus is our Lamb. If you're in the room or if you're online, welcome. Seated on the benches or at the table, you have a Connect card. We ask that you fill out the Connect card for yourself and everyone else that's with you. This helps us know that you're here, but more importantly, on the Connect card, there is an opportunity to list your prayer concerns. We ask that you list them because we love to pray over them during the week. Confidentially, of course. If you're online, there is a prayer button and there's a connect button. Please fill them out. If this is your first time here, we'd love to talk with you after this worship experience is over. So as you exit the celebration room, to your left, there is a welcome center. Please meet a member of our pastoral staff or a member of our care staff, and we'll give you a small gift and welcome you to um, fellowship. If you're online and you're new here, please click the New Here button and fill out that same information. A member of Pastor Bill's um, staff will reach out to you at a later time this week. Thank you, Fran. Thank you. Wonderful. Greetings, everybody. So good to see all of you here this morning, this Sunday before Christmas. And uh, that's an exciting time for all of us. And good to have you back, Fran. You've been doing some traveling and and, uh, around. Good to see college students coming home for a uh, season, and it's just a good time to be together. Uh, stay healthy, <laughs> do what you need to do, so that we all can can be safe and healthy together, and uh, it's, it's good to be there. I have a uh, an announcement that I want to make, uh, that we are planning a a trip to England for people of, of our church, and so you're a great candidate to go. I don't know, it's, it's called a Wesley Heritage Tour. John Wesley was the founder of the Methodist movement that now is part of the, the, the Methodist denomination and many other denominations, a powerful uh, impact across the world through his ministry back in the 1700s, uh, and it has, has continued since then. So uh, we're organizing this trip. If that's something that you would be interested in doing, it says, Join Pastor Roger and Christ's Cornerstone Friends, Wesley Heritage Tour. This is for September 2022. So we've got a lot of time to plan. If you'd like to do this, you'll be hearing more about this later. And uh, so just thought that uh, we'll start advertising this. And uh, hopefully you can join me and Carolyn, right? Yes, she's here. There's concerns about traveling or whatever. But anyway, this brochure has all the information you need about it. And uh, so pick one of these up. Uh, They'll be in the the Welcome Center uh, if you're interested in that. So... As, we're, as Fran mentioned, your prayer requests are essential to us to be together as the body of Christ and to support one another. So please do share a prayer request with us. And, uh, and as you have, if you have an offering to give, uh, there's an envelope for you to do that. If you're online, you can give on, online through the, the Give um, link. And we want to practice generosity in everything that we do. And so we have principles that we follow. In that, So here's principle number one. I invite you to read this with me, if you would please. We strive to give God's will priority over our money. And uh, just a, a basic teaching that we have as we 
seek to use the things that God has provided to us. We want to ask, Lord, how do you want me to use this? And then listen to the answer and obey, <laughs> obey the Lord. Let's read this scripture together that reminds us or the, out of which this principle comes. Let's read this together. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. You know, God following Jesus, doing what God wants, is not magical. It is a relationship that we enter into. And we want to encourage one another to live in that relationship. And uh, part of that, Jesus teaches us to, to give generously whatever it is that we have. Uh, whether it's the food. I'm going to do some baking this week. And uh, hopefully the people that I share that with will... Oh, don't get scared. Pastor's giving thumbs up. Oh, good. Good. I hope. I'm going to do some baking this week. It's a good time. Anyway, let's continue worshiping uh, God. And I invite you to stand with us as we, as we pray, and then the team will come back as we worship. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for all the opportunities that you give to us to serve you. Thank you for the forgiveness that we have through our faith in Jesus Christ. We thank you for him. And we ask your Holy Spirit to continue to fall upon us. Thank you for being present with us this morning. You're already here. Help us to be in tune with you speaking to us through these songs, through our prayers, through the word that you give to us today. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus is our champion. There is no other name. There is no other power. There is no other being greater than him. God, we worship you today. The one who was, and is, and is to come.
Hallelujah. Can we just stand and take that in for a minute? Seated in heavenly places with the one who has conquered it all. Now, I have sat and had lunch with and had dinner with and had conversations with a lot of people. A lot of influential people, a lot of funny people, a lot of just regular people. But to be invited to be seated... be invited to be seated in a heavenly place with the one who has conquered it all. So what are we doing with that invitation today? You've been invited to that table. We've all been invited to that table. Years ago in our ministry when when uh, it was when I used to wear a suit and tie all the time, so I don't know if you want to imagine that or not, but somebody would walk up to me in, at, at church on Sunday and give me an invitation to something. And you know where I'd put it? In my coat pocket. And she didn't know I put it in my coat pocket. So somebody would ask her, are you guys coming to so-and-so? And I don't know anything about it. So she would come to me and say, is that invitation in your coat pocket? Uh, yeah. Sorry. What have we done with that invitation? To be seated with Him in heavenly places. Not just seated, but in fellowship with, in communication with, in communion with, sharing that power that He has given, that authority that He's given us. God, we pray today that we don't ignore that invitation to come and be seated with You in that heavenly place. You are far above all principalities and powers and rulers and dominions and everything that every other name that is named. So Lord, we want to give you our worship today. We want to give you our adoration. We want to give you everything that we are. We have come to adore you. Come to worship you.
give him praise. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we magnify and glorify you today. Thank you, Lord. We think about that term magnify, and sometimes we magnify things that are really small. God is not really small, but sometimes we make him small in our own eyes. Have you ever looked through binoculars the wrong way? You've looked through binoculars the wrong way, it makes everything on the other end look small. Sometimes that's how we look at God. God is way bigger than that. So, Lord, we magnify you today. We give glory and honor to your name, and we have come to adore you. I'm going to invite April to join me on the platform this morning in just a moment. As soon as we're finished with this prayer, those of you that have children that are, uh, that are going to go to children's ministry, you can follow Miss April out of the room. But let's join together in prayer for April and her team and, uh, and for Pastor Roger this morning. God, we thank you for the team of people that we have ministering to folks all over this building on any given weekend. And so we pray for our children's ministry today and for April and her team. We pray your anointing would rest on them. We pray that you would bless and guide them and encourage them and strengthen them. God, we pray for Pastor Roger as he comes to bring the word to us this morning. Lord, let your Holy Spirit speak through him directly to our hearts in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. God bless you. Thank you. You can be seated. morning again. We've got all kinds of equipment this morning. That, some of it old school, some of it new school. But I'm uh, glad that you're here this morning with us. No, I don't want that. Where are my sermon notes? Wow. Here they are. Lucky us. Didn't have these last night. I want to say before, before we get going, uh, Doug Kinnear came over to the church at 4.30 this morning. Because he is so spiritual, and he just needed to pray, and then turn on the heater to the water to the baptismal font so that it was nice and toasty warm, because we're having a baptism right after this service. So before you go, I want to encourage you as we, as we leave here, pause for a moment, turn around, and uh, at the baptismal font, uh, we'll celebrate baptism with Amanda, and uh, we're part of the, that's part of the body of Christ. Uh, thing that we do together. You know, when we make a decision to follow Jesus or when we affirm our baptism, we're, we're never alone in that. And it takes the body of Christ to support and encourage. And that's why we're, we're here today. So just want to encourage you before you leave today, take a moment, linger a little bit out in the, uh, in the mall area as we celebrate uh, what God is doing in Amanda's life. And we'll, we'll do that. All right. So we're continuing our series, Christmas with Friends. And as we go through the series Christmas with Friends, we're looking at uh, the, the characters, the people around the story of Christmas and what can they teach us uh, about life together, about what God wants to hear us. And today we're 
title of today's message is, you know, how the television show, the series of Friends, every title goes something like this, The One Where. And so today our episode in this series is The One Where Jesus Looks at His Family Tree. What does your family tree look like? And especially at, at, at holiday times, maybe many times we're thinking about uh, our ancestors or our un- aunts and uncles, and, and it's a good time for families to gather together and share those stories with each other that really define who you are. And as we look at the Scripture this morning, we're going to see some of the experiences, some of the people that for, for generations shaped the family that when God sent His Son Jesus, finally, into flesh, Jesus had to come into a family. And I remember when Carolyn and I got married, we, we went through a, a, our church at that time, had a, 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 a marriage seminar. And Carolyn and I were at that seminar, and since we were the newlyweds, they picked on us. And uh, one of the things they talked about was that you don't just marry an individual. You marry that individual's family. And if you're not prepared for that when you get married, you probably shouldn't get married. Because <laughs> you've got to deal not just with your spouse, you've got to deal with the family. And if you think otherwise, let's have a conversation afterwards. <laughs> and we'll talk about that. It's just part of the real, a real expectation. So we're going to look at Jesus' family tree. But before we get to Jesus' family tree, I want to talk about this one that's behind me. Can we get this? Let's get a pretty good shot of that on camera. Let me slide my easel over a little bit more for this. There we go. So I have drawn it. I couldn't figure out how to get it on, on screen. This is a, called a genogram, and it's a description of, of, of a family. And, and I was reading an article this week, and so this describes an actual family and their experience. But, all, of course, all the names are changed, and it's nobody that you know. It's not even somebody that I know. But here's, here's the husband, Larry. Larry and Patricia, and, and I just pulled names out of the hat. You know, so don't think about, I'm talking about you, I'm talking about your family, whatever. They're just names. Um, but I can't help it if it describes your family. <laughs> but I just don't know that. Larry and Patty got married. They've been married for 15 years or so. During that time, they gave birth to Matthew and Allison. And uh, as Allison grew up, she, you know, we got this capability of uh, learning about our ancestry through DNA. And so Allison kept asking Dad, we should take DNA tests. Dad, you should take a DNA test. Let's learn about our, our family history, etc. Dad kept saying, oh, it's 100 bucks. I don't want to pay 100 bucks." And he kept putting that off for years. Finally, he got tired of Allison uh, keep asking, and he said, all right, let's do it. So the test came. That day, he says, you know, mom sees it, Patricia sees the test. What are you doing with that? Oh, I'm going to take a take a, a DNA test. And all of a sudden, Patty turned white as a ghost. And he didn't understand why she looked so panicked. And after they went to bed that night, and they were back in their bedroom alone, she made a confession to him. And about 15 years ago, she had had a secret affair, a long-term secret affair. We'll call him Jack. And out of that relationship, Allison was born. But for all those years, Larry 
never knew that part of the story. Patricia was hoping she could take it to her grave. And I read another story about a woman who was thinking the same thing, and she almost did, and she was 90-something years old when her children came to her and said, why is this like this? And a 90-year-old woman had to confess about her own past and the truth of it. So, back to this family, and this is what these little lines mean in the diagram here. So you've got Larry and Patricia, Matthew and Allison. Allison's father really is Jack over here, but Larry didn't know that until now. And you see by this little line here separating Larry and Patricia, their marriage did not survive this trauma to it. Their relationship didn't. They divorced. And Matthew down here was angry with his sister, Allison, and because Matthew said, Allison... You caused our parents to split up. Well, that wasn't true at all. And even Larry had some feelings like that. But Larry and Allison's relationship was strong enough. And the article talked about Larry having a conversation with his own mother in which he realized that, no, 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 Allison did not cause this relationship. And so there's no reason why we should be angry with her. And they were able to reconcile that. So these three were able to maintain some fairly healthy relationships in this story. But I I bring this up because this is the reality of our world, right? I would dare say that every one of our families, mine included, has some kind of skeleton in the closet that somebody tried to keep secret, maybe for many years, perhaps forever. But eventually, it became known. We need to realize that God still knows the truth. And that the invitation is to come clean with God. And through that, we find forgiveness. We find the courage. This marriage did not have to break up. In this case, it did. But it does not have to. Jesus Christ can help us forgive one another so that we can keep things intact. Jesus has that power. He can do that if you'll let Him do that. But again, every one of these relationships (laughs) requires our own cooperation, both with God and with one another. I just bring that story out Now we're ready to look at Jesus' family tree. And I think we're going to find some surprises. I hope there'll be surprises to you. Maybe you've heard these things before. But let's go to Matthew chapter 1. Reading verses 1 through 17. And I've got to be honest, I don't hear many preachers preaching on the genealogy of Jesus (laughs) uh, from Matthew. It's It's not great storytelling as it's written here in the Bible. But we're going to hear some... Shocking things. So Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17 says, This is the record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. So Matthew, in beginning his gospel, his good news about Jesus, goes all the way back to Abraham. And it says, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. 
Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Now, there are a couple of parenthetical phrases in here, parentheses. And I remember being in, in elementary school, and we would have a, a, a reading session in our classes, and, and a lot of times students would take turns reading or the textbook or whether a story or whatever it was. And I remember there were some students who, when they got to a, a, a piece in parentheses, for some reason they would just skip right over it. <laughs> it always irritated me. Because somebody put it in parentheses for a reason. And they wanted it to stand out. Or they wanted it still to be there. And don't ignore the parentheses. And we can't do the same thing either. We can't ignore the parentheses in this. And so it says, Judah was the father of Perez and Tamar, whose mother, I mean, Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Remember that. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Aminadab. Aminadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Solomon. Solomon was the father of Boaz. Again, a parenthetical phrase in our translation. Bo- whose mother was Rahab. How come we're not listing, listing the mothers of all, all of these descendants? Good question. Obed was the fa- uh, Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was, this translation says Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam was the father of Abijah. Abijah was the father of Asa. Asa was the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was the father of Jehoram. Jehoram was the father of Uzziah. Uzziah was the father of Jotham. Jotham was the father of Ahaz. Ahaz was the father of Hezekiah. You know, the old, old language said uh, begat. Nice little word we don't use anymore, but it certainly is easier to say. Hezekiah begat Manasseh. <laughs> Manasseh was the father of Ammon. Ammon was the father of Josiah. Josiah was the father of Jehoiakim and his brothers born at the time of the exile to Babylon. Again, a parenthetical phrase that is crucial to the story of Jesus because uh, crucial things happened in the family line at the, at the time of the exile. Uh, the, the Babylonian exile. And so after the Babylonian exile, Jehoiakim was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel was the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the father of Abiud. Abiud was the father of Eliakim. Eliakim was the father of Azor. Azor was the father of Zadok. Zadok was the father of Achim. Achim was the father of Eliud. Eliud was the father of Eleazar. Eleazar was the father of Matan. Matan was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. All those listed above include 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the Babylonian exile, and 14 from the Babylonian exile to the Messiah. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his holy word. Now, just in case you want to go home and read this to your children, the key to reading uh, difficult names and places in the Bible is just... Say it however you say it, and don't go back over it. <laughs> I've never, I never learned how to pronounce Hebrew. I don't know if I said these names right, but you all don't know that. I said them the way I said them. So just read it and keep moving. <laughs> There's a little, little tidbit. The other thing about this is, this is not the only listing of Jesus' family in the Bible. And if you look, if you compare those listings, they all don't match up. 
And I don't want to get in today as to why they don't match up. And I don't fully understand why they don't all match up. But we do trust that God's Word is inspired and that as God inspired Matthew to provide this to us, this is what God inspired. This is the way Matthew put it together for us to understand. So Matthew and God's inspiration to Matthew is trying to tell us something in this telling of who Jesus is and his family tree. Now think back again to your own family tree and how, how and, and maybe some of you don't know anything about your family tree. And, and many children who grow up not knowing anything about their family tree have a longing to understand who they are, where they've come from. And those of us who do have some understanding about our family tree appreciate, or we learn from it, or whether it's positive or negative information, it changes who we are and it shapes us. And you can imagine that as Jesus was growing up and he was hearing these stories about these people, and in the Jewish tradition it was crucial that you understood your family tree. And you were nobody if you went into a town and they said, who are you? And you said, well, I'm just me. We don't know who you are. We only know who you are because of where you come from and from whom you come. I remember when I interviewed at the church down in Georgia, right out of college, you know, a a Yankee boy, upstate New York, grown, raised on a farm, interviewed with this uh, bunch of southerners down in deep south Georgia. One of the guys in the interviewing committee said to me, you know, Roger, how how did he say it? Buddy. His name was Buddy. I can't. He he had a very sophisticated southern accent that I can't do. I'll just make it sound stupid. He said, Roger, you know, I believe that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Why are you coming from New York all the way down to Georgia? (laughs) And I started telling him stories about my father so that he could understand who I was. And he understood. Oh, you grew up on a farm. He decided to test me. And he said, all right, Yankee, how do you grow a grit? (laughs) He thought he'd stump me. I said, you don't grow a grit. Grits come from corn. You grow corn. He went, oh, rats. (laughs) Our, Our heritage shapes who we are. So let's, let's look at some of these, here's some of these stories about these. And we're going to go back to those parenthetical phrases because they're the ones that, that stand out to us. And all of them are women. And another thing about a, a Jewish genealogy is that you never put women in your genealogy in these days. But here are five women in Jesus' genealogy. We're going to look at some of them. And I've got to, let's see what we've got here. We're going to go to the first woman who is Tamar. Back to Tamar. I think that's verse 3. And it says, Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. So down here on my chart, we've got Perez and Zerah. Their mother is Tamar over here. But I've got three, I've got four other men on this diagram. What's up with that? Okay, so Judah was the father of these three sons. This one, you can probably see the letter E, his name was Ur, E-R. He married Tamar, but he died before 
they had any children. In those days, if you didn't have any children, you also were nothing. And a woman who entered into this family, she completely left her family and was totally dependent on this one. And you you had to have children who could take care of you and who could give you a heritage. And every woman needed that. So without children and a deceased husband, there really was very little hope for her survival. She was in a predicament. So the Jewish law said, if, if, if your husband dies, your husband's brother is to marry you and give you children so that you have somebody to take care of you when you're older. So that the brother was Onan. Onan said, Onan, Judah said to Onan, you've got to marry Tamar and provide a, a, a heritage to her. Onan said, all right, I'll do it, but I don't really want to do this. So he decided he isn't going to do it, and so he didn't do it. And he also died before he was able to give children to Tamar. Now we're down to son number three, but they're getting younger. And Shelah is son number three, and he's too young to get married to Tamar. And so Judah says to Tamar, all right, Tamar, you go back to your Canaanite family and, and you stay with them. I will, I will tell you when Shayla is of marrying age and then you can come back and marry Shayla and be part of our family again. Tamar says, all right, that sounds like a good deal. But years pass by and the invitation to come back never comes to Tamar. Judah is not making good on his promise to Tamar. And she's out there waiting. So finally she devises a plan. Isn't this beautiful? This sounds like our, our, our families. <laughs> oh, this is the family in the Bible. So, and you can read about this in Genesis chapter 38. If you think I'm just telling you a long tale. Genesis chapter 38. So, I'm going to use kind of modern language to describe what happens. Judah is out of town on business. He goes to another, he goes to another town for some reason. He's, he's, he's on business. And in those days, and we hear about this often today, when men are out on business, they do things they shouldn't be doing. And so he's out in another town on business. Tamar gets word that Judah, somebody tells Tamar, hey, did you know Judah is in town? He's in this village, and, and he's not around his family, etc. So Tamar comes up with a plan. She says, I'm going to dress up like a prostitute, and I'm going to go to that part of town where all the prostitutes go. And when Judah comes looking for a good time, I'm going to... But he's not going to recognize me as Tamar because I'm going to be dressed like a prostitute. And that's exactly what she does. And she finds Judah, and he's looking for a good time. And so he says, what does it cost? And she says, give me a goat. It's a long time ago. That's not modern day language. <laughs> give me a goat. And she says, but he said, I'll send you a goat after I get back home. She says, mm, I, I, I don't buy that. You've got to give me something that guarantees that you'll send me the goat after you get home. He was wearing a, a called a signet ring. It was a ring that had a symbol on it that identified him as Judah. 
And it's, it's a ring that he would use it if he was sending a scroll or, or a document to somebody. They would melt, they would roll it up or fold it up and melt wax on the, on the edge of the paper. And then he would take that signet ring and he would press the signet ring into that hot wax and let it cool down. And that would tell the receiver that this letter, this document, has indeed come from Judah. And he said, she said, give me your signet ring as a guarantee that you'll send the goat to me. He needed his signet ring back. It's like, it's like me giving my wallet. Here are my credit cards. I'm going to make good on my promise. She says, okay. And he agrees to that. So they spend the night together. She gets pregnant. He goes back home. And months pass. The child is born. And he remembers, oh, I never did send that goat. So he says to one of his servants in his household, here, here's the goat. Go find the prostitute in that town and give her the goat and bring my signet ring back. I need that. So the, the servant goes to that town. He can't, find, he can't find the prostitute. He asks the other men in town, where's that prostitute that was here on that particular time, whatever, and he described her. They said, there's no prostitute like that here. Well, because she wasn't really a prostitute. It was Tamar, and she was just in disguise. Finally, they find Tamar, and she comes out, and she knows that the servant is, and she says to him, here's the child, and the father is Judah. Well, the servant says, oh, yeah, you're just looking for money. And she says, I can prove it. The man who owns this signet ring is the father of this child. And they take it back to Judah. And Judah has realized now, because he didn't make good on his promise to give one of his sons to Tamar, she has tricked him to give her a son to do that. Beautiful story, isn't it? Genesis chapter 38. The grace of God all over the place. Isn't it? We're going to figure that out. That's Jesus' family tree. Now, we all know that in our own family trees, there are traits and characteristics that get passed down from this family to this family and this family. And then things might settle down, but then all of a sudden something happens and it's just like great-grandfather over there. Oh, I never know that happened back then. It's happening again. You would expect that this kind of behavior would go all the way down to Jesus. And and what we read in Matthew, indeed, we went from Judah to Tamar to Perez and Zerah, and then through Perez, Jesus is eventually born. Now, that's not the end of Jesus' family tree. There are three other women we want to look at in that. The next one is Rahab. This is a much shorter story. Rahab was a Canaanite woman. She was not a Jew. None of these women are Jewish women. And and remember what I said as we were looking at about the Babylonian exile? After the Babylonian, so, so what happened in the Babylonian exile was that um, somebody, a, a nation would conquer Jerusalem or conquer Israel. They would literally divide the people and conquer. And rape was an essential part of their military strategy. 
They wanted to completely destroy the identity of the nation that they conquered. And one way you do that is through rape. You confuse everybody. And you make, the, you make the claims that they have on their land and on their property that they would pass down from children to children. You just mess the whole thing up. And it was presumed that if, if you lived in a town and you had a daughter and that town was raided and overtaken by another nation, you just assumed that your daughter was no longer pure. Horrible. Very different expectations in life than what we have today. And so, so when it came time for, for the Jewish people to gather back together after the Babylonian exile was over and they were able to worship again in, in Jerusalem and worship at the temple and the temple was rebuilt, they had to make sure that, all, that the priests were pure Jewish people. How do you do that? The only way to do that is is to maintain your family tree. But we see that in Jesus' family tree, there are non-Jews in it. Jesus, in His promise to Abraham, has said to Abraham, I will be the Savior of all people, not just the Jews. And one of the things we can take from this is that this is indeed God bringing His grace to all peoples, not just the Jews. Get over it. (laughs) God's grace comes to all people. And so it was extremely important to maintain your, your heritage. So Rahab, Israelites, finally got in to, to, to the conquer, conquer the promised land, but they had to take over the city of Jericho. And so they sent some spies into Jericho. They're, they're, they're in the city of Jericho, and they're spying. They're checking things out, but they don't want to get found out. And so they find this woman named Rahab, and she's a prostitute. Everybody knows that. And, but she protects the spies. She hides them in her home for, I don't know, weeks, days, maybe months. We don't know how long that they were spying on the city. But she's betraying her own city and her own people. And she says to the spies, when you get back and when you conquer, would you protect me and my family? They said yes. And so when, you, when we do come back, what you need to do, because your house is on the wall of the city, you need to hang a red, a scarlet rope out your window and we will know that that is your home and we will not come and kill you. And so Rahab survives and becomes part of the family line of Jesus. Now we get down to Ruth. Ruth was also a Canaanite woman who married a man who died. And Ruth, the the, the entire book of Ruth, Ruth chapters, it's only four chapters. Go home and read it today. Read the story of Ruth. It's an inspiring story. It's the only book in the Bible where the, the, the word God is not mentioned at all. And so Ruth is supposed, her husband dies, she's supposed to go back to her family, but she knows she's worthless there. And her her mother-in-law's name is Naomi. And because Naomi now has no no more son to take care of her, Naomi is going to go back to her, her ancestors, and she says to Ruth, I'm going to go to my ancestors, you need to go to your ancestors. Ruth says, no. 
Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And so Ruth stays with Naomi, goes back to Naomi's people, marries a man named Boaz, and continues the line that eventually leads to Jesus. But not before we get to this woman. Now, I want to look at, I want to read a, a, a verse from a different translation. I, I've listed her as Bathsheba, and that's her name. But I want us to look in, in other translations, in the New Revised Standard Version, this is what, how that verse reads. It says, And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. The King James Version is even more clear about this. It says, king, The king of David, no, and David the king begot Solomon, listen to this, by her that had been the wife of Uriah. Well, that's a strange way to describe somebody. <laughs> I would never refer to Gwen as her who was the wife of Pastor Vaughn. What would you think about me if I never spoke her name, I just referred to her as her, who was the wife of beloved Pastor Vaughn? (laughs) We like Vaughn, but we're not going to talk about her except to refer to her as her. And I think we can can make the same point about Matthew. Matthew. He does not like Bathsheba. And yet, so Matthew, as he's describing the coming of our Lord Jesus, only describes her her in the family tree as a her. (laughs) The wife of Uriah. And you know the story. Bathsheba was that woman who, when all the... David was in trouble in this too when all the kings and the soldiers were out at battle in the springtime, David stayed. That's David's first mistake. He didn't go to battle with his own army. He stayed there in the city of Jerusalem. And he was standing over his balcony, and he looked down, and he saw a beautiful woman bathing herself in her home. And he said, oh, she's pretty. He said to one of his servants, go bring her to me. Now, what I've read about Jerusalem at that time says that Jerusalem was, was, was only about 12 acres in size. 12 acres. So I want you to picture the property that we have here at Christ the Cornerstone at our Bear Campus. We have a, we're on 896. We have a very large parking lot on the front. We have parking on the side. We have parking in the back. If you didn't know we have parking in the back. We have a big parking lot in the back. And then there's a beautiful playground, that's a good word for it, playground for our school, for our children, people to use. And then we've got this beautiful room here. We've got the office area and the senior center underneath it. We've got the mall area. We have a whole wing of, of school classrooms over to the south of us here. All that property from, from the edge, the southern edge here, 
So the edge of the parking lot to the north, just the parking lot, is six acres. Jerusalem was 12 acres. This entire complex would fill half of Jerusalem at that time. Jerusalem's not very big at the time of King David. So it was, but it was packed with people. They lived in these little houses. King David being the king, he was wealthy enough that he could afford a house that was two or maybe three stories tall. So as he's looking down over off his balcony, he's looking, Bathsheba may have only been 30 feet away. He could have called out to her. He could have whistled to her. <laughs> like the construction guys, the proverbial construction guys. Another scholar suggested that if it was that simple, why would any self-respecting woman in those days be bathing in front of an open window for others to see? Surely she must have had some motive. Her husband, Uriah, was off at battle. So in comes Uriah into the palace. They have a child. David murders her husband, Uriah, to cover up his mess. All in the family tree of Jesus. Go home and ask your family tree. <laughs> Look at your family tree. It's okay. It doesn't make what everything it doesn't say that everything that was done was right and good. What this is saying to me is that God is still using us to accomplish His purposes. And God is a God of redemption. God is a God of hope. God is a God of cleansing sin and forgiving sin and restoring our hearts so that we and our families can be used by God for His purposes. God is a God of redemption. The Word became flesh. The Word became flesh and there's no way for God to become present except to enter into the mess of our own families. So let Jesus enter into your family. Maybe you're the first one to allow Jesus truly enter into your family. Maybe you're one of those... You, you know that there are messes in our families and it just didn't turn out. Parents, it just didn't turn out the way I hoped it would turn out. But God, have Your way with my son, with my daughter, with my grandchild. Lord, forgive me for what I've done, but still, God, make it good in Your time. Look how much time passed. God is going to do fine so we worship our Lord. Let me encourage you to give your family, give your past to God and let God arrange it, deal with it, good come out of it. It's a good message. Let's pray and let's consider these things as we sing and as we pray. And Maybe you want to come here to the the platform and just kneel here and say, Lord, I'm, I, I'm worried about my family. 
I have, I have carried shame from my, from my past. I have tried to, to excuse and hide the behavior of my father or my mother or my, my siblings because I'm just ashamed of them. You don't want me to live with that shame. You want me to live in freedom and health and goodness. You want the family that comes after me to know your power and your grace. So let's have those kinds of prayers. Have that kind of conversation with God today. And let the Holy Spirit minister to you and lift you up as you find hope through faith in Jesus Christ. Let's stand together as I pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your peace, for your kindness, for your power, for your plan. The Word was made flesh. And Jesus, just as you entered into the the family tree that included Bathsheba and Ruth and Rahab and Tamar, you are just as present in each one of our families. And we thank you for that. Holy Spirit, we ask you to come. Bring comfort. Bring healing. When I think of that family that, that I described at the beginning of the message, I don't know who that family is, but we saw that the mother and father, that relationship did not make it. We ask for your healing power to come. Come upon husbands who need to forgive their wives. Come upon husbands who are hurt deeply in their relationship. Come upon men who are afraid to be men of God. They say, because my father wasn't a good father, as irrelevant, when you come into our lives, Jesus, you become our father. And you will teach us all things that we need to know. Lord, I pray for the women who have been abused, harmed, wounded, hurt. Their life is forever changed because of the action of one person. I ask you to bring peace and healing and comfort. God, I pray for those who who long for that and who endure through years of memories, pain, agony. Jesus, we need your healing power in our lives and in our families. And through your presence, you will become flesh once again. (laughs) And your love will go throughout this land, throughout our families, and transform us. We need your power. So come, Holy Spirit, and minister to us while we sing to you and while we pray. I ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Lord, we thank you that you have invited us into your family. We thank you, Lord, that you take our feet and set them on a solid rock. Lord, you take us from the place of despair to a place of hope. So we worship you today. You've heard the invitation. There are places to pray, folks to pray with you. You can come and kneel at the front or come to one of our prayer stations. But let's worship and let's pray today. Oh.
God, we thank you for making us part of your family. No matter how crooked we think our family tree is. Lord, you have brought us to a place of wholeness and completion with you. And so we thank you for that. God, we pray you would encourage us as we go from here today. Lord, I pray for families too in the next several days and the next week we'll be spending time together, maybe more time than usual. And Father, I just pray for relationships. I pray that hearts would be mended. I pray that family relationships would be strengthened. And that you would be glorified above all. We pray your protection and your guidance over us this week. Help us, Lord, as we encounter people who need you, who need a message of hope to be ready to deliver that. Thank you, God, for all that you do in us and through us. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. God bless you. Thank you for worshiping with us. If you're online, there'll be some, uh, some, some folks still around to talk to you for another 10 or 15 minutes if you need prayer. The front is still open. Folks are still at our prayer stations if you're here in the room. God bless you. Have a great week.